0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. And I'm joined by my recurring co-host, Roy Jones. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. We interview CEOs, industry specialists, authors, and activists with stories, books, tips, and resources to help you and your organization succeed. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at aolsen at altusmktg.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey listeners, welcome to the show today. Glad to have you all here. I am really excited and you're in for a treat. I am sitting down today with Erin Rowe, who is the CEO of Harvest Hope Food Bank in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, prior to the food bank as their CEO, she was a treasury, a senior treasury sales analyst at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, a successful entrepreneur and chairwoman of the board at Harvest Hope Food Bank from 2016 to 2020. Erin, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be on.
0: Glad to have you here. I'm really excited to um, to start in on this conversation around leadership with you. But before I do that, um, if you wouldn't mind, take a few minutes and tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more about um, what Harvest Hope Food Bank is up to these days.
1: Definitely. So I have a varied background. It's not your typical, I would say, nonprofit journey. I started out in the food and beverage industry, and I worked in hotels and restaurants across the country. I then moved on to owning my own business. It's called the Young Chefs Academy, which was a cooking school for kids. Food is my passion. I love feeding people. I always tell people food is my love language. So all these industries kind of aligned with that. Um, I did end up going into the financial industry with Bank of America. And during that time, I was able to look for a board that aligned with my passions, and Harvest Hope did that right here in the Midlands, and so I was able to join their board. As I went through that process, I really saw the scope of how Harvest Hope addressed food insecurity across our entire state. I think, in my mind, Harvest Hope was a food pantry, and I think that's a lot of people's, you know, it's just a car line, but it's actually this logistics company that covers 20 counties and three warehouses, and there's millions of pounds of food that are shipped between each location so it's really i found the business part of it and the logistics part of it like a puzzle and i love puzzles so I was, I was very much involved with that aspect of it and then moving on to the board chairship over the past few years has just really allowed me to see the opportunities that are available to help the food insecure in, in South Carolina
0: very cool okay thank you so let's let's jump right into some of this leadership conversation I, i'm curious to know um as we start out you know what what values are most important to you as a leader and how do you ensure that you're honoring those values in your day-to-day leadership efforts
1: so when i think through values i really think through core traits that are you know driven by a moral compass in some aspect it's not something that is just almost a tangible item it's just something that who you are and so i think values that a leader should have and should try to have um, honesty, integrity, um, empathy, you know, these, these values that, that drive human beings, because as a leader, you have to connect with your team. And if you don't have those values and show those attributes, you're never going to be able to lead the team.
0: Fair enough. Um, So I want to, I want to go back to one that you said, you said empathy. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that's playing out for you right now in the food bank, given that, I mean, if if you all are like every other food bank that I've talked to across the country, uh, you know, the last 18 months have probably been, you know, you've been working at breakneck speed, your team's probably been working, you know, more hours than they've ever worked before, um, and probably doing things that they never expected they'd be doing from a, a service delivery model, you know, perspective. Um, how have you leaned into to that, you know, value of empathy and how has that shaped your early leadership at the food bank, given what your people have been experiencing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, empathy is putting yourselves in someone else's position and, and allowing yourself to try to view any situation from their perspective. And every human being is individual. And that's, you know, I think that's the beauty of humans is we are all different. And I think through COVID, it's affected businesses differently. It's affected individuals differently. And so you can, at a leadership level, try to describe or strategize about how you're going to deal with COVID. And let's say it's from your food distribution to your spacing in your warehouse to your individual employees. Are you going to be in the office? Or are you going to be at home? You have to take into account each of those Individual's personalized experience and be able to listen to them without creating a plan that is so rigid, there's no room for flexibility. I think a lot of times it's easy to put on paper how to get from point A to point B, and on my piece of paper, this line's gonna work. But then you throw the human aspect into it, and and it's not necessarily a straight line. And so, with empathy, you're allowed to hear another person's approach. And take that into consideration as you're creating these strategies and and put their perspective in the strategy. And I'm not saying you have to change everything for every individual, but allowing input in your decision making from that um, personal level when you're trying to create the task to get to your goal is going to make your goal more attainable. Because the reality is your team is the one that's going to have to help you reach your goal anyway. You're not doing it alone. We're not in silos. So if you're making this plan and your team's not bought into it, it's it's not going to be achievable to begin with.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. So you and I were talking a little bit uh, off offline before we started this this conversation on the podcast about some of our own experiences around you know how we've worked differently in the last you know twelve months and, and what working from home looks like, things like that. I, I'm curious to know. In in your time at, at B of A and, and in now your transition to the food bank, you know, what have you had to do differently in the last 12 to 18 months to to both build and enhance and support culture at your at both organizations with people working remotely and you know dealing with the additional stress of the pandemic and just kind of the pace of work? what else has changed for you and what have you found most effective?
1: And thinking through the changes, and with COVID, there was not a buildup. It was, hey, guess what? We're leaving this day and we're not coming back and we don't know when we're coming back. And so, you know, if you are about to create or implement change, a lot of time, how you communicate that change on the front end helps the process. And with COVID, there was no warning. It's 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 here. And so that actually made A lot of businesses, B of A and Harvest Hope included, have to make decisions immediately. And so, then once you make those decisions, if you have time in planning, you start communication on the front end and you build up. You build up till that moment of change. So people have understanding of their expectations. They know what's going to happen. What I found in COVID is the decision had to be made instantaneously. We had to send people home, change logistics, change how we communicate. And then spend the next five months afterwards running back after people to make sure they understand the why, the where, the how, and put the process in place on the back end. Does that make sense? So it does. I saw a lot of processes getting made after the decision versus creating the process before the decision. So that's always hard. It's hard on your employees. It's hard on the leadership team. Um, I think to create a culture, we, we talked about this if you go to a virtual environment and you're used to just leaving your home and going to work, you bring your work self to work and now your work self is in your home life. And so it created a vulnerability, but it also created an approachability, I feel like, because it it made everybody seem human. And I think that's a great attribute because you, you can see each other's you know, you see behind the curtain and, and you realize that everybody has a life behind the curtain. And so it does create, I think, almost a bonding that was not there before because you would never allow that peak inside your house before. So I think that's a benefit of COVID. Um, I think when we go through right now, so we did at Harvest Hope move staff that could go home. We split up to different teams so that there was no cross over if there was an outbreak. And so now we're in the part of bringing everybody back together. And that's a unique situation too, because there's been so much fluctuation over the past year. This is still yet another fluctuating piece. And now we have to rebuild these teams again, because for the past year they've been working remotely, they've been working in shifts. And so now we have to create these teams of everybody coming back to what a normal looks like. And a lot of that is just learning how to communicate again face-to-face. You know, that's a skill set that if you don't use it all the time, it can go away. How do you coach your staff when you're looking at them now versus on an email? You know, I think a lot of things got emailed over the past year that probably could have been said face-to-face and had a different outcome. So now we're kind of relearning all those communication skills of actually being around human beings. So Those are just a couple of the things that I've noticed over the past year.
0: Yes. It's so interesting that you said that, you know, I I was in a meeting a week or so ago uh, out in Memphis with, um, with one of my clients and a colleague. And when we, when we all walked into the room, I realized, Oh, not only is this the first time that I'm meeting this client face to face, because I I just joined this company, you know, seven months ago. um, But it's the first time I'm meeting my colleague face to face other than Zoom as well. And so it was, it was the weirdest sort of situation because never in my career have I had a situation like that before where it was like, oh, I'm, I'm meeting my client for the first time. That, that's, you know, I expect that. But usually I would have met my colleague, you know, we, w- we would have had an opportunity to connect and be in the office together and all that kind of stuff. And, and so just kind of brought home that how weird this, this re-entry process is for everybody, you know.
1: It is. And it's almost, so we hired an associate out of Birmingham. It was probably a week after we went home and it was a close partner of mine. And we ended up and I was, I was her mentor throughout the process. We talked every day. It was, it was these types of calls, texted emails. And, you know, a few months ago, we realized that we had formed this relationship had not once ever met each other in person at all. And it was almost normal that we had established this relationship without ever, you know, seeing each other. And even now, as I'm setting up meetings in communications, you do ask, you know, what are you what's your comfort level? Do you want to do a Zoom meeting? Do you want to meet face to face? But it is kind of nice and exciting when you see somebody face to face. It's like a present, you know what I'm saying? Because we haven't been able to engage. Yeah. you are going to go to lunch. We can do lunch or have coffee. It's amazing. And so I'm glad we're, we're getting towards the end of this so that you can bring, you know, people back together again. There's value. Yeah.
0: just Being normal again. You know, I agree. Yes. So let, let's go a little, a little higher level here. Um, you know, as a leader, I wonder what what do you define as sort of the non-negotiables for you with, um, with your team, with the way that you all interact um, with, with those that you are. are Um, you know, sort of designing uh, the organization alongside.
1: But I think through non-negotiables, this goes back to almost like the values, because some things are teachable and and there are skill sets that can be taught. And there's some things that just are non-negotiable. Honesty is non-negotiable to me. There's those There's those core values. Um, integrity is non-negotiable to me. Now, I can teach you how to communicate really well. I can teach you how to, you know, solve problems or work through things. But I really feel like as far as non-negotiables, those are those core values that productive members of a team or society should just have. Empathy. You should just have that for people. Everybody has different stories and it's hard. So that's, that's non-negotiable for me.
0: So, so let let me go a little one step further on this. You know, I, I often will say to people, if someone doesn't have the skill or the knowledge or experience, we can train those things, right? If it's a character deficiency, there's not much that I can do to help someone develop that. And so we, we look to um, either know that before we hire and not hire or figure out how we gracefully exit a relationship with someone around that. Do you have you found any other ways to solve those kind of things? I mean, what what's your thought on that? It, am I wrong?
1: No, I don't think you're wrong. I also think. You know, character's not black and white, so it's very easy to be like, okay, you know, you're blank, so you're never going to work here or fit into this team. I think you can also create a culture that doesn't glorify the bad characteristics, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'll think through... Let's say um, like if there's a you know, it's an office environment, you know, gossip always runs rampant or just kind of talking around each other, and not directly. Mm-hmm. So if you create an environment where it's the norm just to be direct and have these face to face conversations and it is looked down upon from a culture level to be a gossip or to stir things up, they're going to not do that because it's almost like um, positive reinforcement to not having negative behavior in your workplace. And a lot of times if you walk into a situation where there's, there is maybe some cultural habits that aren't great team building, you have to be deliberate on changing that because, I mean, it's such an odd, you know, one bad apple spoils a bunch, but, but that negative character (coughs) attitude behavior truly can bring the team down. And so you're just without exiting a person, because like I said, it might not be as black and white. Now, if they're stealing, I'm sorry. You're sure, stealing. Sure. You know what I'm saying? But if it's, if it's just these underlying habits that aren't positive, you can create a culture that that's not acceptable. And I think that will help weed those out.
0: Yeah. That, I like that. That makes good sense. So I'm curious to know, like, is there one thing you can point to where you're like, you know, I know this today where I am in my leadership journey, But wow, this would have been more valuable if I had known it, you know, six years ago, ten years ago. Like, I wish I knew that on day one.
1: I mean, that's what your twenties are for, right? You look (laughs) back at that. I think I started my first management role was um, a reservation sales manager at a hotel in Jacksonville, Wyoming. So looking back to that person to where I am now, um, I mean, there's value and experience. I, I don't you can talk to any young leader and give advice, but I think some things you have to just learn through experience and part of it is, is, is how do you work with people? Um, you know, I, I knew when I was younger, things are very black and white, you know, you're, you're a passionate beginning leader and, and you go out there with zeal and it's black and white. And and so I think through experience, you learn that there are multiple sides to stories, that you learn that there's value in getting input in um, asking questions. I think for me right now, I find so much value in asking people that have had experiences. Like if I if I see a situation, I know now I'm going to go ask other people how they dealt with it versus me trying to figure it out on my own. So there's value in learning from other people's experiences versus me trying to recreate the wheel every time. And I think you don't know that when you first start out being a leader.
0: Yeah. I I know I certainly didn't and probably could have saved myself a lot of time and trouble uh, if I were at that point willing to ask questions. Yeah. So I'm, I'm also curious, you know, what's the greatest crisis you ever faced as a leader? And I really want to know what you learned about yourself.
1: Oh, Lord. Um, I hate to even speak crises because then I feel like you're just setting the bar. (laughs) I would say say crisis or a hard situation. I think over the past six months, um, without going into too much detail, dealing with a leader that had um, extreme health issues, Mm -hmm. working through that from a privacy level, and then continuing to keep an organization running has been a learning experience because you have so many you have so many things go on on an emotional level versus a process level versus a we just have to do it level. So you just have to get this done that it pulls you in multiple different directions. I did that really drove home empathy because you have to put yourself in every person's position, the leader that's going through the health issue, the board your employees, the end user. And so that encouraged me um, and taught me to look at things from a a holistic level and not get so tied up in in granular weeds that you're missing all the other pieces. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So my next question for you, you know, and and we already talked a little bit about this and you alluded to it in some of your other responses. Um, Maybe you've experienced it in, in your board service as well, but you know, I often see that nonprofit organizations, um, they tend to suppress some of those difficult but really important conversations, either just to not have conflict in the organization or for any number of, of other reasons. Um, could you say a little bit more about how you encourage kind of the healthy debate and conflict in your organization and, and what it looks like to model that kind of behavior?
1: So when I think through that, I'm a very direct person. It can be a positive and a negative depending on (laughs) the receiving end of that. And but I I own that. Um, I've encouraged my staff to always bring me ideas. I've also encouraged Mm -hmm. them to be a sounding board because a lot of times if you're in a leadership position and your staff is always yes men, you have nobody to help you see the other side of a situation. So it's very easy to go down a path and you think you're on the right path because you have 50 people saying, okay, well, you said yes, we're going to go down that path. But I do think there there is healthy debate because if you have someone that is comfortable enough to say, I hear what you're saying, have you thought about this? And you're comfortable enough to ask them why, it allow you to maybe pivot in a few ways that will save you time, energy, money, versus you just having blinders on. Um, I have said statements like, "I need, and, and it depends upon who you're talking to, you know, this, this can be filtered down through the ranks, but, you know, your core leadership team, if I bring something up to you, I also want you to challenge me on the ways that it could be right and wrong. And then if you bring something to me, I'm going to ask you why, too. I want to know the reason behind it. And I might ask you five different why questions, but that way we can look at every single project issue um, strategy from multiple different levels. And we're not just accepting them at face value. Uh,
0: that works. Makes sense to me. So let me ask you a follow up to that. Um, you joined the food bank uh, in a bit of a different way coming off of the board and having been the board chair have you experienced any kind of you know reluctance on your team to engage in that kind of direct debate you know was, was there any sort of perceived power dynamic with you coming out of, of the board chair seat did that cause any issues for you
1: i honestly don't think it did now we could ask them they might
0: have a
1: different <laughs> story but but from the past you know 45 60 days as the board chair in what we went through over the past two years, I think I earned their trust in that position that I do have the good of the group as, as our best interest. And so it actually was a way for them to get to know me. It's almost like a, a soft rollout. You know, they saw me in that position. I, I did earn their, I would volunteer there. You know, I was up there all the time. I, they saw me support them when they needed things, and I was their champion. And so when this role came open and we went down this path, I'd already created some trust with them through that board chair position. But then they also felt more comfortable that I had the trust of the board. And so I know a lot of times it's us versus them. It shouldn't be that way, but it just is. And so this was actually kind of a bridge between that because I still have the trust of the board and I have very open communication with the board members now and they they're able to see that. So I don't think it's been a negative.
0: OK, cool. Yeah. You know, every once in a while you, you hear different stories. And like you said, it's often an us versus them. But sort of go into a different direction here, more on your, your own sort of personal self-care as a leader. And you already you told me offline um, that you've got a couple of teenagers in your house or. One, one teenager, one almost teenager. Um, I have one in my house, so I know the craziness that 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 brings. Um, and you've, you know, got all sorts of other responsibilities uh, going on in the community. So as that, you know, busy leader, uh, both on the professional side and the personal side, how do you um, carve out the time and the space to maintain your own personal, physical, and emotional well-being in the midst of everything else you have going on?
1: And that's always the challenge. I will say you have to be deliberate about it. It's not going to ever happen by accident. It almost has to be scheduled. I mean, it sounds like you're not even doing it, but you you actually have to schedule it. Um, I live by my calendar. And so whether it's creating a routine, I think that helps as well. So I know moments of my day that are calmer. I'll say that probably before my kids wake up. You know, there's different moments. And so I use that time, whether it's going for a walk, I love to garden in the summer. Um, but I make sure I do, you know, and it's not five hours, you know, 15 or 20 minutes just decompression, whatever that looks like, having my coffee without talking to anybody, <laughs> getting the day going. Um, and then throughout work, it's it's all day long, and then carving time out in the afternoon, and making yourself stop. So what I've found, especially during COVID, and, and I had to rewire my brain, is because if you're at an office, you leave, and then you do have it on your phone, and you can check in, but when your computer's at your house, and there's no separation, it's very easy to just wake up, oh, I'm just going to check my email at six o'clock while I get my coffee, but then you never get off. Same thing towards the end of the day. Oh, yeah, we're starting to make dinner. We're going to do our activities, but it's still there. And so I make a deliberate point of just shutting my computer down and removing it and not looking at it. Now I can still, I mean, you can obviously contact everybody, but it's almost like a physical shutdown of the machine. And if I need to check an email later, I will. But it, you have to make yourself disconnect. And I think there is value in
0: that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So last, Official question of, of our conversation before I let you go for the day. Um, what's one piece of advice or insight that you found valuable uh, throughout your leadership journey that you would share with other you know, emerging leaders today?
1: I think something that has helped me a lot, especially as you're moving through roles, is I had um, a mentor tell me to make sure a fire is really a fire and not to make everything a fire, because then you'll always be just, you know, chasing after fires and to be able to pull back and look at it from a 30,000 foot viewpoint and then just take one thing at a time. So I think a lot of times as you're starting out on your journey, now other people might think they're fires and it's easy to let these these crises or semi-crisis, especially if you have a collective group, so now you have crises with multiple teammates, you know, take over your entire being, but just being able to calm them down, look at it for what it really is, look at it from a 30,000 foot viewpoint, and then just make deliberate plans on how to
0: address them. That's a great perspective. Thank you so much for that. So Aaron, before I let you go today, if someone wants to connect with you directly or wants to connect with the food bank, what are the best ways for people to do that?
1: Oh, we love that. So, email is always great. Um, if you go to our website, www, rewind, <laughs> www.harvesthope.org, it has all of our information on there. And then you can find my contact information on LinkedIn as well.
0: Have you read my Amazon number one bestselling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site. Thank you again for being here today. Thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts on leadership with us. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, Andrew. I've enjoyed it.